Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 140. This interview is with Francis Reimers, Head of Corporate Visibility at PCI Communications based in Washington, D.C. In this conversation with Francis, we talk about the challenges of driving corporate communications in this uber-crowded, connected world, how to establish trust, the personal role of the C-suite and of the CEO, and much more. A fun and energetic conversation about an area that is also in great mutation. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host and author of The Mindset, that's M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes to the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick and enjoy the show. So, Francis Reimers, tell us who you are, what you do, and what is your mindset? My Francis Reimers, I'm the Director of Corporate Visibility for PCI, and my mindset right now is that there's an incredibly uh, large amount of fun things going on in the marketing and communications and PR space right now, and I'm having a great time being out there educating people on how to make it all work uh, for their bottom line. It is a fun time to be in the business. So, um, so Corporate Visibility... That is not your average title. What is what exactly does that mean for PCI? So what it means for PCI is I spend a fair amount of my day helping us to quote unquote get above the fold. I spend eight hours a day looking for opportunities to be visible, to connect, to create partnerships, ultimately uh, driving business towards uh, our company. And you work with some clients. You were telling me before we got online that you you also manage some clients. So what role do you what work do you do with them? So we uh, believe very strongly that the best salesmen are salesmen that actually do the job themselves within the within the industry. And so I manage two of our major accounts here at the office. And so all day every day. I can be working on anything from developing a national outreach campaign to helping building a website to developing an integrated marketing campaign. Whatever my clients need on on the day-to-day, I take care of those projects from start to finish. You also said to me, Francis, that you, uh, you of course, you have your own you know, social life presence online, I mean, you know, in real life as well. But um, you're also managing the, the corporate, the PCI uh, social presence as well as advising uh, the CEO of the company. The question is, how do you best manage that, and what do you think are the ways to establish the success of what you're doing when you're trying to raise corporate visibility? Because at the end of the day, my point is, you know, is it about the number of likes, or how do you actually put value on the work you're doing? Yeah, so it's all about engagement to me. Um, People can like, people can follow, unfollow, but it's really the quality of the engagement that you get from people that really makes the difference in my mind. Are these people um, writing to direct messaging you? Are they looking at your website? Ultimately, are they picking up the phone and thinking of you when a project comes into, um, into their purview? Or are they just engaging and then walking away? Um, I'm, I'm wanting people to pick up the phone and engage with us, whether it's a partnership or a potential client. And so I'm trying to create content and trying to create personas within the individual accounts that I manage 
that help people pick up the phone um, and think of PCI when it comes time to partner or to select an agency. So when I thought about our social media accounts, um, I developed them with personas in mind. So there's our main PCI account, there's my personal account, and then there's my CEO's account. And all of them were created with very specific objectives. Um, the main PCI account is, a, is, is very much following the 80-20 rule of the social media space, putting out content that we feel is relevant, but mixing in our content, um, awards, projects that we're proud of, um, congratulatory notes to our clients and partners. My account is all about visibility, how to raise your visibility, how to connect with people with better visibility, of course, sharing the kudos of the company so that it spreads the good word. But then I also, too, um, maintain the 80-20 rule. There's a lot of great content out there mm -hmm. that is relevant to my day-to-day, -day, but also relevant to my client and contacts, and so I share that. But I also make sure to put in information about me specifically, and I try to inject a lot of my own personal um, personality mm -hmm. into, into my day-to-day, -day, my hobbies, my likes, my love of the state of Wyoming, um, all of that is interjected. Now, when it comes to my CEO, um, his account very much has a strategic um, idea in mind, and that's connecting with the industries that we see are the best targets for our long-term growth. Mm -hmm. And so every day he and I sit and talk about how he can create content, how he can develop posts that are really targeted towards the individuals that we're trying to get next to. Mm -hmm. um, our verticals are very much uh, focused on healthcare, utilities, energy, law firms who are interested in, in our, our verticals. And so I work with him every day to create content that speaks to those audiences, but also maintains a bit of his personality mm -hmm. so that it feels authentic and real and not just like we're pushing out yeah. um, a, a salesy content to hopefully catch somebody's eye, but that there's a real person behind um, these mm. pieces that are being uh, created. Well, surely that helps you, Francis, when you're dealing with the customers. Now, one of the things I picked up on your site, apart from the, the Wyoming girl thing, <laughs> is that you, you, you talk about your learning of customer service through your mother in your store in Wyoming right. and maintaining a sense of humor. So mm -hmm. I was thinking, you know, if I were to think about corporate communications, the word fun and sense of humor doesn't really come into it as far as my my a priori thought is, how, how does fun integrate into corporate communications for you? So, you know, I think, I think fun for me, um, I, I, corporate communications can be fun. Um, the challenge, the win, the maintaining your brand through a contentious issue and getting to the other side, to me, that's fun. And I'm pretty sure my fellow corporate communicators would, would agree with me. Um, but when I say, you know, keeping a sense of humor, um, Corporate communication can get contentious, can get rough, and I think you really do internally have to keep a sense of humor about yourself, not taking yourself too seriously. That can't always be reflected in, in what is posted externally, yeah. but keeping a level head about what it is that you're doing and really the end goal helps get most corporate communicators past those bumps in the road. But when I speak of having a sense of humor, 
I'm also speaking of being authentic. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's incredibly important in, in, in corporate communication, whether you're addressing something very serious, like a regulatory issue, or you're announcing something a, a lot more uh, a lot more fun, like a, you know, a rebrand or um, a new office launching. I think it's important to be authentic and that you're speaking from your brand, you're, you're speaking from your mission, but the end user feels that there's actually a human on mm. the other side of that, of that communication and that it's not some stiff legal speak. Um, uh, I think that's incredibly important. All right. So, this leads into my next question, which is what are the biggest challenges that that you see companies bringing to you with regard to corporate communications? Because, you know, that's, the context around that might be, well, we need to stop. We need to stifle this bad press around us. We need to uh, we need to cut above the rest with all sorts of bravado and, and rational cons components. But there you are saying, you know, be authentic, be real. So within that, how would you, or do you, see, you know, how would you explain the biggest challenges you see in the brands that are coming to you? I think I think the two biggest challenges facing corporate communications right now are clutter and immediacy. Um, clutter first. There's a lot of information out there, good and bad. Um, there's a lot of people sharing uh, an organization's message, and and how do you? craft your message to get it above the fray. Um, for example, if you're a healthcare organization, how do you rise above um, your competitors and truly articulate that you are patient focused, that you provide quality care when everybody else is saying that? Yeah. Um, we here at PCI, we have a, you know, a great example of helping one of our clients who is Crystal Run Healthcare based in Middletown, New York, helping them um, rise above the fray um, and, and really truly articulating that they are patient-centric and um, that they do provide quality care. And as such, they have been acknowledged and recognized um, by with awards for their marketing for that. And so it's taking their message, keeping it authentic, but drafting it in a way that is layperson friendly and getting it in front of the audience, the correct audiences really helped them remove themselves from the clutter that is, that is out there and really help their patients in their neck of the woods see and connect with them in a very real way. Um, the other is immediacy. Um, you know, corporate communications can be incredibly challenging because we live in a world where we are needing to fulfill the requirement of right now. And sometimes organizations have a very hard time of answering questions, complaints, concerns in real time because, because of regulatory issues, because of legal issues. There's a lot of hands that a message has to go through before it can get back to the target audience. And we really try to guide our clients through creating processes, creating messages that help them answer things in real time without sounding robotic. Um, and I think if organizations can manage those two pieces, mm -hmm. will really help them um, propel uh, their, their product, their message uh, forward. I, I like that. So when we talk about the immediacy of the media, when you're trying to craft these processes and maybe draft these texts that aren't too robotic, right? What are the when you when you go into that, 
you know, what, what are the parameters you're trying to set up? Because I'm, I'm thinking of, do you need to tell them, by the way, don't forget to say, dear Francis, comma, and then add text, and then make sure that there are no spelling mistakes. What kinds of things do you look to put in place in order for that immediacy to happen? Right. And so what I always like to tell my clients, and I actually just posted a blog post to LinkedIn about that. It's called Who's Afraid of Big Bad Social Media? And it talks about organizations finding that that balance uh, between the immediacy and, and getting the message out there. Ultimately, this is going to vary from organization to organization. But what you want to do is draft a policy and a procedure that everyone understands and that they can follow, but has enough flexibility to bend. You want to hire the right people um, for your, your social media and content management positions that write and understand and can apply the policy to their everyday work. Because the last thing that you want to do is have every response, everything that goes out outside your organization, be part of the template. Mm -hmm. you, want, you want your staff, you want your communications team to respond in an authentic way, but there are going to be times where very specific messaging needs to be in place. And that'll vary from, from organization to organization, and that should be outlined in your policy. But whenever possible, staff should be trained and encouraged to respond or engage in a real way mm. and develop a personality for the organization so that that, that, uh, that, um, so that voice is authentic when, mm. it, when it goes out. But it really starts at the very beginning when you, your organization, decide that you're going to embark upon a strategic social media um, engagement, that you have that policy that everybody is comfortable with, that everybody understands, so that all players of the team know what they're doing and, and their role. Um, I also think it's important for organizations to have more than one person that manages social media. And, and by that, I mean, let's say for an example, you're a utility company. And you have a Twitter account that is consumer facing. Um, I, I think it's good practice to not only to have two people manage that account. One person that deals with the creation and the posting of content and another individual whose job it is to reply to requests, inquiries, comments, complaints, so that both of these people are focused on the key component of making that account real. But both of these people are in communication with each other and they're making sure that the train keeps moving and mm -hmm. it's moving quickly so it doesn't get bogged down in one person having to do something um, that the other person is focused on. And in that case, do you, do you recommend that they uh, sign each of their tweets? Yeah, I think, I think it's, I, I mean, this will all vary from, from instance to instance, but I think whenever possible, signing is, is always a great idea. Any way that, that it doesn't feel like this was an automated response. Um, nothing, nothing frustrates me more than when I reach out to somebody that I admire or I like their work or I want to engage. And what I get in return is, is a direct message or a tweet that was clearly automated. Um, Anytime, I always love when, when personalization um, can can be put into play, whether whether it's you insert my name or you insert 
um, you know, something that you saw in my profile, anything that shows that you actually took the time to learn a bit, a little bit about me and engage with me, I think is always a great thing for any corporation. Mm. Well, I, I just, it makes me think of uh, my LinkedIn life or, you know, our LinkedIn life, especially as your profile gets higher, uh, you end up getting, you know, if you have a profile on LinkedIn, right. let's say you're a CEO, the chances are many people are, are going to want to connect with you. Yes. And, and so you, you know, you have the choice of yes, accept and, or reject. And, and, uh, what I've, my strategy has been is to, um, accept of course, people I know and want. Right. And then, uh, but not to reject people outright. What I've done is I've created a, a like a 10 different types of responses, which, so are, are like a, a package, uh, like a general gist. And then I go back in and uh, every once, every like six months or something like that, I you know, don't do it, maybe I should do it more frequently, but go back in and then I, I tell them why I didn't accept. Right. And, I, and I feel like that's what I owe them. But of course, the problem with LinkedIn is it's made it so easy for people to say, oh, just collect, connect, connect. Right. It just becomes almost Pavlovian and just an overseer. Anyway, that's a little bit of a deviation. <laughs> so, um, Francis, you, with your clients at PCI, you have a lot of clients, as I understand it, or sectors that include a lot of regulation. Mm-hmm. And so that makes me think, you know, whether it's banking or, in my mind, what insurances or, or right. uh, healthcare, a lot of these are companies that may not have the best reputation, or sorry, sectors. Mm-hmm. That don't have the most, the greatest reputation. Uh, you know, people are looking at them, looking for the small print. How am I going to get screwed by them? So the issue is that institutionally, corporate communications from these types of companies tend to be looked at like, uh-uh. And and so there's an issue of trust. So what I'm looking at is how do you recommend building trust when you are reg- highly regulated? When you have people looking at you like, how are you trying to screw me? Uh, right. And, and, yeah, go for it. I, I think it's best for any corporation to remember when they're developing their outreach, you are not your target audience. Always keep the target audience's wants and needs top of mind when developing content. Um, because if the audience feels that you truly understand their wants, their needs, um, how they benefit from engaging with you, I think that always melts away the distrust. Um, for example, you know, healthcare is a, an easy um, example for me because we work in that space. Um, if you're a healthcare organization and all you ever talk about is we're the best, we're the best, we're the best, what what does the patient or potential patient have have to connect to? That's nice that you're the best, but what about me, the patient? Um, And so it's vital that that corporations, whether it be legal or banking or healthcare, they always keep the end user in mind. What's in it for them? Why should they engage with you? Um, You know, we're the best because we keep you healthy. People who manage their diabetes or learn how to handle a healthy pregnancy are X times likely to live longer or or whatever the case may be, but it's crafting content, crafting your outreach with the end person in mind that helps erode away at that distrust. If your audience believes that you're coming from a place of authenticity 
and that you're coming from a place of genuinely caring about what they think, um, how they feel, and how they engage with your product or service, I think that definitely helps erode away at that mistrust. So then what that leads me to think about, Francis, is that we're blurring the lines between marketing and communications. Because in the end of the day, corporate communications, in my mind, are things about the corporation, about shareholder meetings. Uh, yes. and, and But marketing could be talking about a product that's going to help you live longer, live better, gives you information. Then this is like this middle ground of utility, as Jay Bear always says. Yes. Uh, so which is sort of marketing, communications. How do you work with that? So I have long felt, at least for the past five years or so, that we are we are no longer single disciplinarians as disciplinarians in in um, in marketing communications what have you that there is slowly becoming this cross functional utility person if you will it you know uh, especially in the agency world it, it's no longer enough to know about PR or a video or event marketing, you really truly need to know about all. And and digital, um, such as social media, is a given. It's expected that you know what that is, how it works, and the impact it has on, on people's communications. And so I think it's all slowly merging into one. Mm -hmm. Yes, uh, you know, you might be a corporate communications practitioner, and on your day-to-day, -day, you're, you know, you're um, communicating out about shareholder meetings and and regulatory issues, but everything you say in your space feeds into what the marketing team is saying, feeds into what the sales team is saying. Living in silos no longer helps an organization uh, move their brand forward. There truly needs to be constant communication between all of these parties or else something gets missed, a ball gets dropped, and something important doesn't get articulated. Um, uh, we, I often uh, um, counsel my clients that if their marketing team and their sales team and their legal team are all in separate corners of the company never to intersect, then there is a real missed opportunity there because it, you know, it's, it's little streams all feeding into the same big river. And, and we all suffer when, when, the, when the communication is not in coordination. Um, and so it, to me, it's all one. It's growing more and more to be all one and the same. Oh, well, so how do you master that? Because, I mean, I think I totally, of course, hear you. And mm -hmm. let's say I'm the CEO of the company. And, Francis, you come to visit me. Listen, uh, Mr. Dial, you need to make everything uh, swim together, get, every, every, you know, chain, get all the offices broken down. Right. <laughs> Materially, how does it work? So I truly do believe that there are certain people who have a have a knack for each of these pockets um, more than others. Yeah, you know, I my background is PR. Um, corporate communications is not my background, and I do believe that that's a very specific skill set. But that doesn't mean that me as the PR person and the corporate communications person can't sit down with sales and marketing and the social media team and strategize our content and develop a process 
and an editorial calendar together as a team that has a cohesive feel. Um, it's surprising to me how many corporations I've stepped into that my, my CEO has stepped into where all of these departments never communicate with each other. They never intersect. And what a missed opportunity. Um, if, if I walked in and Mr. Dial, I, the first thing I would recommend to you is that the heads of all of these departments get together several times a year and have a discussion about the strategic outreach of this organization and ultimately how is it going to improve your visibility amongst your stakeholders and how is it ultimately going to raise sales? Because if you're all splintered, you're only as good as the weakest link. And so you all have to come together for the greater good. So Ms. Reimers, do you recommend that I chair that meeting? Not necessarily. I think that would vary from CEO to CEO. I definitely know some CEOs that they would chair that discussion with gusto and, and they would and they would actively engage with that. Then again, I know some CEOs that would not want to touch that with a 10-foot pole because that's not that's not their wheelhouse. And that's okay. Um, I do think it's important that there be someone, um, whether that's the CMO, whether that's the COO, there has to be somebody chairing that conversation who actually has a marketing acumen, actually understands the cause and effect of strong outreach. They're truly someone at the helm who gets how messaging affects your bottom line. Um, I also think there needs to be somebody in the room who is the little bit of the, the budget master. Um, people can pontificate great ideas all day long, but then who's going to pay for it? Mm. Um, I also think there needs uh, another role in the room has to be that person who's like, well, I think that's going to cost X amount of dollars and, and okay, we can work with that. Let's go. Um, another person in the room really needs to be that taskmaster, that person who says, okay, we've come together on this day. We said we were going to accomplish these things and I'm going to hold everybody accountable for what they've said they're going to do. And then ultimately that CMO or that COO reports back to the CEO for his, uh, his or her sign off on what the group needs to do. I didn't mean to be the pretentious CEO, but that was great. I like that conversation. So, Francis, um, speaking of CEOs and the yes. like, one of the topics that I, I always one – one of my near mantras, but anyway, at least uh, obvious considerations is to what extent does the C-suite and the CEO in particular need to be actively themselves present on social media? How do you manage that? Right. Um, and, and my first response – my first response to that is, which everyone hates, but it depends. Mm -hmm. um, a great example of how you know the CEO or the C-suite uh, can engage, not engage, look at the very difference between Apple and Microsoft. Um, you know, Steve Jobs had a persona. Mm -hmm. He had a persona, all of him, all of his own, and he actively wanted to engage in that social media space and be seen in that social media space as a persona. Um, whereas Bill Gates hasn't exactly taken, taken that same route. Um, and I don't think any, any person would, would disagree that both, both, uh, both individuals are quite successful. So I really think, I, I think the first question is, what is the, what is your brand? What is the persona 
that your organization is trying to put out there? What do you think your target audience is going to connect to? Because the last thing you want to do is put your CEO or your members of your C-suite out there when your target audience isn't interested or these individuals are awkward or don't come across as as reputable or or conversational. So the I really think you need to think about the brand of the organization, the, the target audience you're trying to reach. And and ultimately are these individuals comfortable being in this space? There are some CEOs and C-suite people who genuinely just don't have an interest of putting themselves out there in that way. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you should force it because then it goes back to my thought process about being authentic sure. and, and you don't want to push it. You know, people are very savvy and they see when something has been crafted and is contrived. So if you're, if your CEO is not comfortable in that space, don't force them there because so it's going to come back. It's going to be very awkward. I totally hear you Francis. And my belief is that it's not necessarily about being, uh, you know, typing out tweets per se, but in the end of the day, two things, one, like 90% of the people on, on social or in Twitter anyway, they're not actually tweeting. They're just there. They exist right. in, in quite inactively. And I think that there's a, a, a real side of me that says, I don't care if you don't tweet, but you need to be aware. And right. so that means you need to go out. You need to learn how to listen. You need to learn how to find out who the influencers are because they have a material impact on your business or will more and more over time. Right. And the second point is that by being on social, they are demonstrating the behavior they're hoping the rest of the organization can go to. Because my belief is that if you have a brand, you have a, a strong purpose, then why not corral the energies of your corporation and all the employees to be out there? And yet, if your C-suite says, we have it, not for me, then what kind of message does that send out? Right, right. Um, we, we here at PCI, we strongly encourage each and every one of our staff to be out there and, and be real and authentic. And we've crafted a social media policy that says, hey, be out there, be engaging, be funny, be creative, because that's who we are as a company. Just make sure that if you're saying something that, you know, isn't, isn't, uh, isn't the best that you make sure that it's very clear that these thoughts are your own and not, not the uh, words of PCI. And my CEO, he is a high I, he is a complete and utter introvert who has zero interest truly being out in front, but he has found his voice on Twitter. He has come to find that you're not out there on a ledge exposed that you can be real and authentic and interesting and engaging via Twitter. And, and, and that was something that was comfortable for him. So even though he is a high eye and would truly rather probably have someone cut off his limb than, than have to speak in front of a room full of people, he has found his voice and has become authentic in this space. He's found enjoyment with it. Um, I think it's important for all organizations that if they have a CEO or someone in the C-suite 
um, not participating, that they find a way to make it engaging for them so that it's comfortable and that they're participating. But you're absolutely right. An organization, if there's a huge disconnect, if the organization is out there and being funny and engaging, and then the, the C-suite is crickets. Um, it really, it really has to be a top-down mentality. I hope and you're not talking about, well, wait, I hope you're not talking about the national pastime of English and Australians. Cricket. No, no, no. Didn't sure. Australia just win the title? You are good. Yes, that's right. Hey, hey you know what? We here in America, we, we care about porn. Shocking, shocking. World Cup. Well, you so, know. So, listen, what, what is the CEO's uh, handle, by the way? Um, he has, he has a couple. Um, it is Robert Sprague. All right. S-P-R-A-G-U-E. Yep. PCI. PCI. All right, well, mm -hmm. I'll, put, I'll put that in the show notes. So okay. listen, uh, Francis, how can anyone catch up with your energy and your Wyomingness? What's the best <laughs> way to connect with you? Well, not shocking. I am quite easy to find. Uh, people can find me on Twitter at Francis R PCI. That's F-R-A-N-C-E-S-R-P-C-I. Um, they can find me on LinkedIn at Francis Reimers. And of course, they can find PCI everywhere at www.pcicom.com. All right, beautiful. All right, Francis, lovely to have you on the show. And nice to have you in Australia from Washington, D.C. And I'll be in touch. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com. That's mindset with a Y. Where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please do rate it on iTunes. That really makes my day. Happy trails and enjoy Josh Sachs's Painted Fingers. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray and heal me with all your imperfections that you mention in your lack of
Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.